We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Cody, would you like to introduce yourself or you want me to introduce you? Uh, I'm Cody Tony. I am first and foremost a dad. I have two boys, Connor and Cruz. Um, Connor is on the spectrum. You're going to hear a lot about him today. I want to give you guys a good idea of what you're looking for. What is autism? How do we know what we're looking for? And then we'll talk and and try to discuss later on. um, What do we do then if we we feel like we know somebody or or we have a child that's on the spectrum and and maybe it's your child, maybe you're an educator and maybe you've got kids in, in your classroom or whatever the case may be. Let's talk about what autism is first and then let's uh, talk about what you can do to try to help with some of that and and how we we use that diagnosis to get some of the things that we need. So um, again, Cody Tony, I'm the director of the Pervasive Parenting Center. Um, but as I said, being a dad is kind of the most important part of my life because that's what has led me to be an advocate for people with disabilities. So I'm located out of Eastern Oklahoma. Uh, my office is in Poto. Uh, me and my family live in Panama, so most people probably don't know where Panama is, but that's okay. Let's talk about, I have to um, let you guys know that we work off of a grant from the U.S. Department of Ed, Office of Special Education Programs, um, and so that's why we get to do um, what we do. I, I need to put this up because they pay me to do this, so that's awesome. So let's talk about autism. Let's talk about what it is first. It's it's a neurological disorder, okay? It's the way the brain fires off. So if you look at this this picture of two different brains, this is actually a brain scan and they ask the same they ask the same question to two different people. Um one with what they used to call Asperger's, that's actually, you know, probably autism 1 at this point, but but this is kind of an older picture, but you get the idea that one of the high functioning higher end of the of things, and then what they call a normal or neurotypical brain. And they asked them a question. So so if I were to ask you guys right now, picture a church, let's say. When they asked those, those two people this question, you can see that it took a lot longer for the, the one on the right side to start narrowing down. You and I are probably sitting here picturing a church that we go to maybe on Sunday or one that's close to our house or maybe went to it as a kid. But it doesn't take us long to break down what we think you want to see. So ours is more probably on the uh, the left side here. When they ask this person on the right side, and, and I've been told that this is Temple Grandin. If you know who Temple Grandin is, um, that's that's great. But they, I've been told that's who this picture is, that they asked her this question. If you don't, do some research. Temple Grandin's a, a, an amazing advocate for people with disabilities and especially uh, autism. But they, they t- asked her and she said, if you ask me to, to picture a church, it takes me a lot longer because I have to think of every church that I've seen in books, in movies on the side of the road. 
um, as a kid, as an adult, and it, I have to start breaking that down to what I think you want to see. So it takes a lot longer to go from what's on the right side here to get to what's on the left side. Well, if you can imagine us asking a kid to take their shoes and put them on a shelf, it's going to take them a lot longer if it, if you have to break down from what's over here and all those neurons firing off in different directions to what's on the left side there. So this is why we have a lot of behaviors. Why do we have some of the behaviors we have? Well, think of it this way, okay? Number one, what do we look for when we're looking for, for a diagnosis in autism? And one of the main things is communication. Now, let me, I'm gonna, you're going to hear me say this several times, but behavior is communication, okay? If I get a child that is acting unruly or misbehaving, it's not because they're being a brat. It's because they're trying to communicate and they don't know how. So we have a lack of communication. Well, remember that communication is a lot of different things. It's not just uh, verbal. Only about 7% of what we say is verbal. There's this, this concept of, uh, of 738.55, okay? About 7% are the words that we speak. We also have voice modulation, uh, tone. Uh, we have our body movements, our... Uh, all all kinds of different things contribute to communication, okay? We have a lot of kids that are nonverbal that can still communicate. Communication is a lot of different things, right? And so if you if you break that down, it's going to, if I can't tell you what I want, it's going to, I'm going to, there's going to be some frustration, right? Well, the second thing we look at too is social interaction. Well, if I can't communicate, I can't socialize very well. Think of it this way. If, if we're in a foreign country and we can't speak the language, there's going to be some anxiety, especially if we need to find the banyo and we don't know how to ask for that, right? So um, social interaction is tough when you have a lack of communication skills. And then the third thing that we're really looking at is we're looking at restrictive, repetitive, or rigid behaviors. Routine, routine, routine. We're all creatures of habit, Okay. We wake up every morning and we go, our alarm clock goes off, we go do whatever we do. Take a shower, fix our hair, brush your teeth, whatever. What happens when your alarm clock doesn't go off? Your day is ruined until you get back into your routine, right? So think about that. I mean, you have to get back into your routine. You multiply that by about a thousand and you've got a kid on the spectrum. And this is what we we look at. We everything has to be in the same way, the same, and go in the same direction all the time because that is soothing. That is calming. It's it's if anything's out of order, our world is turned upside down, right? So those are the three main things: communication, social interaction, and restrictive repetitive behaviors. That's what we're looking for. This is when I tell you, once you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum because they're all different, right? I mean, we do know that it usually begins during the first three years of life. Um, a study that I just uh, heard about um, just a couple months ago said that they actually are looking at between six months and 12 months, we can really start seeing some of those things change. Um, it's almost like something switches inside the brain, um, but really comes full head about three years of life. Connor was diagnosed at uh, just a little before three years old, 
He was nonverbal. Um, he actually was verbal and then regressed and became more verbal. Uh, I mean, less verbal. And then, and so we had to actually start speech therapy prior to a diagnosis of autism with him. So first three years of life, we know we're looking for that. Symptoms range from mild to severe. Um, everything from what they used to call uh, Asperger's or high-functioning autism to more severe and profound and everything in between. Remember, it's a spectrum disorder. And let's talk about the spectrum because this is this is kind of what we're talking about. If it were, if it were, um, every every kind of person is different. If if everybody was the same, their piece of the pie would look like the one right here on the left, right? All of our social differences would be the same level. All of our interests are on the same level. The repetitions are on the same level. Well, that's not how we are uh, when, with, with kids on the spectrum or people on the spectrum. It's more like this pie on the right because some people have a higher interest uh, of, of emotional uh, regulation or, you know, they're lower in perception and they're all different. So everybody's pie is going to look completely different. That's why it's a spectrum disorder, okay? And, and as it says down here, you know, sometimes terms of high-functioning versus low-functioning are harmful and outdated, and that can be. Um, it is easy for us to explain to other people um, if we want to let them know where they're at, kind of. Uh, but, but sometimes don't forget that can be hurtful to some, so keep that in mind. Here's what it's not. It's not a mental illness. It can turn into that a little bit later, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's not a mental illness. It's not a child who chooses to be unruly or misbehave. Again, my kid's not acting out because he's a brat. He's trying to tell me something, and he doesn't know any other way to do it. He's probably exhausted everything that he knows communication-wise. And then it's not a result of bad parenting, and it took me a long time to figure this out because my blueprint was my dad. My dad former military, it was do what you're told when you're told. Well, that doesn't work for my son. Um, I had a, a speech therapist a long time ago. She asked me what's going on with Connor. What, what do you need help with? And I said, well, when I tell him to do something, he doesn't do it. And she said, how long do you give him? And I said, well, I want him to do it now. I mean, I tell him to do something. I need it done now. And she just laughed at me and said, that's not going to work. He, and and we'll talk a little bit later on what she she told me on that. But Again, my, my blueprint was my dad. So if if things were going south with my son, I blamed me because I wasn't being the parent that, that I thought I needed to be. And so it took me a while to figure that out. So let's talk about what autism looks like. Well, I mean, it looks different for everybody. And, and you guys probably know somebody on the spectrum or suspect somebody on the spectrum or you wouldn't be on here. But I'm going to show you what it looks like to me. This is Connor. We're going to talk real quick about Connor. Um, some of his interests, Thomas the Train, Roblox, Minecraft, Bluey, Angry Birds, SpongeBob, um, computers, pets, wrapping up in blankets, Connor sandwiches, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, and, and taking baths. And his dislikes are Joy the Explorer, loud noises, unless he makes them, which is most of the time, and his brother Cruz most of the time. So if you look at this, you know, it's pretty normal, typical kid. I mean, he's 17 years old, and um, the only difference that you might notice is at 17 years old, his life still revolves around Thomas the Train. Um, while he does some of the typical things of a 17-year-old, like Roblox and Minecraft, 
Um, what he's doing on those is he's building trains. He's building Thomas trains. And when I say he's building them, I mean from scratch. He starts with the wheels, the buffers, the chassis, all the way up to the funnels and everything in between, the tracks, everything. I'm going to show you guys in a minute what he does. He's so good with computers because he can hyper-focus, thanks in part to the autism. Um, but it all, again, revolves around Thomas, which is not your typical 17-year-old thing. Now, Bluey, for some of you who know, maybe you have young kids that come around. Bluey is a, a relatively new show for young kids, right? But Bluey is one of his new loves, and we're going to show you in just a second how he has combined his new with his old. Um, but one thing I want to talk about on the computers, too, is he animates these things, he builds these things, and then he turns them into um, full animations. That's kind of one of his things. Well, a few years ago, he got onto, um, he kind of got upset because these these other people were making fun of his Thomas trains on Roblox and some of these other things because they weren't realistic. They were more 2D than 3D. So he went out and learned how to download a program called Blender. He can build his own faces. They are 3D. They can animate. And he builds, uh, you guys will see here in just a second, but he builds everything and um, it's it's pretty amazing what he can do with a computer. This is just me bragging at this point, but this is Connor through the years. And some of the things that you'll notice is we just wanted to make sure that he was as normal as possible. Um, he went to school. He wanted to be in Boy Scouts, so we put him in Boy Scouts. He wanted to do sports. Well, he couldn't do some of the mainstream sports, so we did um, Special Olympics. Um, I'll, I'll tell you three things we were told about Connor at a young age. We were told that Connor would probably never talk. We were told that he would never ride a bicycle and he would never conform to a mainstream classroom. Those are three things that we were told to us by um, experts. And I know why they told us. They told us that to kind of get us prepared in case those things didn't happen. But I'm, I'm happy to tell you, thanks to um, my wife especially, but we he connor can talk if you look at this picture in the top left corner we took him to a uh, a dance and it was for kids with disabilities um and we knew he wouldn't dance if we gave him his, his phone he would just stay on that so we took his phone and he was getting upset he was getting a little anxious this was about an hour and a half in well they gave him these uh these crowns and this is what he's saying as he, I can still hear it to this day in this picture. They gave him a crown. He sits down and he's looking at me and he says, I am, I am the king. This is my crown. Now give me my phone. So Connor can talk thanks to speech therapy and early intervention. That's, that was key. You know, like I said, we got the speech therapy prior to um, his diagnosis. Um, so he can talk. I had another speech therapist that said, once we get in and start talking, you'll wish he'd shut up. I don't. I never wish he would shut up. He was never supposed to talk. So I don't want him to shut up. I wish he had a volume knob sometimes, but um, I don't wish he would shut up. He, he was never supposed to. He can't ride a two-wheel bicycle because of some, uh, some balance issues, some vestibular stuff. But if you notice up in the top right, um, we just got him a three-wheel bicycle. We adapt and overcome. He rides up and down the road with the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. And 
that's his uh his little dog penny she they put him he, she puts him or he puts her in the uh basket they take off like everybody else so and i'm glad to say that um he is a senior this year he's about to graduate and not only has he um is he in a mainstream classroom he's never been anything but and the reason why is because when he was younger and we were told he couldn't um we basically said look if I want my son to act autistic, I will put him in a classroom with other kids with autism. But if I need him to act like his peers, then I need him to be in with those other peers to learn how to be socially accepted, social, the social norms. I have to learn those with peer interaction. And so that's kind of where, where we were at with him. I mean, we made sure that that he was in mainstream and inclusion is a wonderful thing. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later if I have time, but we wanted to make sure that he was around his other peers. And so he always has been. In fact, last year was his junior year and he decided he was so good with computers that he wanted to go to the technology center here in Poto. And he is um, part, in fact, he's walking in the door right now. You guys are going to have to forgive me for just a second. Connor, you need to hang out for just a little bit. Okay. All right, so that's him. He just walked in from the technology center, which is right across the parking lot from here. He has not only been in a regular classroom, um, he has taken computer classes at the technology center, riding a bus to um, to school, uh, you know, every day. And so he's he's adapted, he's overcome, and it's it's been pretty amazing. So, so let's talk about. This is him actually building the faces for some of his trains. So um, if you can see that, he's he's pretty good at what he does. And then, like I said, he starts from scratch. That's the, from the bottom up. And this is a finished product. This is all his animation and stuff. So he's done all of this pretty impressive. And um, this is his actual animation. You'll see where he added Bluey in. Here comes Connor. He's going to... You may he may come in and just like here here's me talking about him so <laughs> but he this is where he's combined Bluey with Thomas and and uh, put them together so this is the stuff that he animates by the way I'm supposed to tell you Connor the animator is his handle on YouTube and on TikTok so you guys get a chance to go check it out but this is some of the stuff he does it's pretty cool. All right, let's talk about autism, um, the numbers. You guys have probably heard these numbers over the years, but 1 in 44 is what the Center for Disease Control says is diagnosed at this point. It's up from 1 in 110 in 2007 when Connor was diagnosed and uh, more prevalent for boys than girls, although studies show that girls are better at masking. Girls are different than boys. Go figure. Um, but they're better at masking things. And let's face it, girls mature a lot faster than than boys do. And so a lot of girls don't get diagnosed until um, later on, especially after high school. Some, so um, that's kind of a, a, an interesting thing. 1.5 million uh, in the U.S. and tens of million worldwide affected by autism. There's no boundaries, um, racial, ethnic, or socioeconomic groups. It, it, it doesn't matter. And then this one gets me every time. So according to uh, Autism Speaks, there are more children affected by autism than diabetes, AIDS, cancer, cerebral palsy, cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, and Down syndrome combined. So 
that's a that's a pretty staggering thing. So um, I always get the question, you know, is it whatever's causing it more is is causing it or do we just know what we're looking for? And I think it's a little bit of both. But, you know, we used to push autism awareness, 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 and it's no longer about awareness. We're aware of autism at this point. It's about acceptance. We have to accept these kids, these young adults for who they are and the, and the, the amazing things that they can do. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along, but we do know that more cases are identified because we've changed the diagnostic criteria. You know, we know what we're looking for. We know the difference between high functioning and low functioning now. Um, increased awareness in parents and professionals. We're talking to people. We're out here talking to you guys, to parents. We've done um, we've done this training with over, we're getting close to 3,000 educators at this point, which is, you know, pretty amazing over the years. We talk about the implications of a label. Well, my son is not autism. My son is Connor. Autism does not define him. It's part of who he is. Some people are born with freckles. Some people are born with red hair. He's born with autism. It's just the way he is. And there's nothing, you know, we can do except accepting for who he is and, um, and you know, move on and, and, and learn to help him in every way that we possibly can. So, um we also talk about education service. So we have to have that label. So, so I say Connor is not autism. It's part of who he is. Well, we have to have that sir, that that label though, that diagnosis in order to get educational services. The things that he needs. Every person can succeed given the right tools. But in order to get those tools, we have to have those labels, right? That's the only reason we use them. Beyond that, he's just Connor. We did use those to get him speech therapy early. We did use those to get him occupational therapy because he had some issues with uh, fine motor skills, things like that. So um, that's that's kind of what this is for. And then the misconception associated with the prognosis. Listen, we've gotten much better at this over the years. Used to be you'd walk into a school and you would have a diagnosis of autism. You hand that to them at the front desk and they say, oh, he needs to be in that classroom at the end of the hall or out in that trailer in the back. And we've gotten so much better at this. We, we now know that what we have to do as schools is we have to test them, give them those evaluations, find out what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, use their weaknesses or their strengths to build on those weaknesses and those deficits. And we've gotten so much better at this. But then the next thing is the diagnostic substitution. So. This is where I stop for a second. Um, this is gonna. This is more for families who are like, well, okay. I, I suspect that um, I have a child on the on the spectrum. What do I do now? One of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you right now, before we go into some of the the red flags, the things to look for, is if you suspect that, if we go into this and there's a there's you know five or six of these red flags that are just jumping out at you. I would, number one, do a screening. Find somebody close to you that can do a screening. They're free most of the time. If they're not, you contact me, and I'll find you a free screening somewhere, okay? Screenings are free, absolutely does you a lot of good because as I get into this next explanation, you'll understand why. But it will save you money if your child maybe is not on the spectrum and you're going to get an a full evaluation, okay? 
the screenings you cannot be you can't get a diagnosis from the screening okay um what we can do as as screeners is we can tell you whether you're at risk or not for autism and then refer you on for a full evaluation if we feel like you need to if for some reason you screen at risk and uh let me do a plug real quick we we got um we got trained by the Oklahoma Autism Center. I would contact them. They can tell you who can do the screening first or or, or uh, close to you, if there's a screening center close to you. But the Oklahoma Autism Center is amazing. They did the screening with us. One of the things they told us was, if you decide that you need a, a, a full evaluation, go to somebody that does the ADOS. That is the Autism Diagnostic Observation something i don't even remember to be honest with you but just remember ados um i'm going to type some of the stuff as we go here but um the ados is kind of the gold standard in autism testing if you go to somebody that doesn't do the ados they're probably doing what's called either the cars and guards and i know i'm throwing out some uh, acronyms and i normally don't do that but but what these are are basically just a little bit more of a screener than what we do okay and so if the, there's not a whole lot of observation so if you've got a child um that maybe is uh what they used to call a high functioning or that autism one and they just do the cars across they can miss some things and here's why this is and i'm going to get back to this diagnostic substitution and and we've seen a lot of misdiagnosis in the last few years actually prior to that, but especially in the last few years. And here's why. Severe ADHD, severe anxiety, and high-functioning autism can look a lot alike. Okay, I'm going to give you one example. There are several, but I'm going to give you one example. One of the main things that we look for for a red flag for a child on the spectrum is lack of eye contact, right? You guys have all heard that um they they don't look you in the eye very well there's there's all kinds of uh, you know reasons behind that but let me ask you this i have adhd if you and anybody that's on here that talks to me normally would understand this right now i'm really trying to concentrate on looking at the camera while i'm talking but if we were in person i would have a hard time because i can't focus on looking at you and talk to you i will look anywhere but at you okay I, I always tell people, I can either look at you or I can talk to you. You pick which one you want because I can't do both. Well, if I've got a kid that's in doing a, an evaluation and they have a lack of eye contact because of ADHD, that's a red flag on the, the, um, on the autism side too, right? Well, let's look at that from a severe anxiety. If I have severe anxiety, where am I looking? Most likely down anywhere but in you know in the eyes so we have to really do a full evaluation in order to figure some of this stuff out and that's where the ados comes in okay so um make sure that that's what you're you're asking for when you call um, a psychologist or somebody that, that's going to do this testing the schools can do the testing i'm not going to get too deep into that we you know that's a that's a lesson for another time but you can talk to the schools about this and if they say no, you let me know and we'll, we'll go a step further on that. But ADOS is definitely where you need to go with this. But I do a screening first and then um, 
and then autism. I'm going to put in Oklahoma Autism Center. Um, and Joni, I don't know if you can find a link or something to them maybe to put in there, but that, that I would contact them first and they'll let you know who the screening person in your area is. Is there a cure for autism? Obviously not. What we do is we try to give you the, the tools to overcome some of the issues that you have. They don't grow out of autism. You build up a tolerance for the things that are bothering you, okay? That's with speech therapy, the occupational therapy, things like that. And we'll kind of go a little deeper in that here in just a minute. I'm looking at my time. I got 30 minutes, so okay. Educational programming, again, finding the social skills. I mean, the 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 um, occupational therapy and the speech therapy, those are the two main things. If I've got a parent that calls me and they say, I've got a diagnosis, um, now what do I do? The first thing I ask them are, have you got... Uh, have you got speech therapy for them? And have you looked into occupational therapy? Do they have they had an evaluation to see if they need that? Because remember, it's a neurological disorder. So their fine motor skills are not great because they don't feel their extremities kind of the the way other people do. And so we'll talk about that here in just a second, too, a little bit. Let's talk about comorbidity. So um that's just a fancy word for those of you who don't know for multiple diagnosis. So in addition to autism, Connor has ADHD, anxiety, OCD, uh, sensory processing disorder, depression, and he's considered to be gifted. So the anxiety comes from lack of social skills and um, lack of communication early on. And then because of that, later on, especially in the preteen and teen uh, years, we start to see depression set in. So it's something to, to pay attention to later on. So, And you can kind of understand that. If I have anxiety because I can't socialize, then I'm going to start, you know, having some depression set in because I don't have, uh, you know, the same social skills or, or friends that, that everybody else does. So. If communication is the number one issue we have with behavior, sensory processing disorder is the number two. And it's most likely because I have sensory issues and I can't tell you. So it goes back to the communication. But the sensory is going to be one of the biggest things. Think of it this way. We all have filters, right? And so right now you guys are listening to me. You're either looking at the screen or or whatever. But but what you don't hear is there's probably a, a fan on your computer that's going or maybe the heat or air is kicking on and off or your refrigerator. You have lights that are flickering in your eyes and we we filter that out. Um, people on the spectrum cannot do that. In fact, um, Temple Grandin says she can tell you what RPMs they are going at. I mean, uh, if you can imagine that coming at you constantly. Um, that's that's pretty crazy, but but we have filters. So everybody has smells, some more than others, right? And we cover those smells with other smells. We we put on deodorant. We have perfume. We have scentsies. We have oils. All kinds of different things. And as the commercial says, we become nose blind to those things. Well, those on the spectrum don't don't necessarily become nose blind. That's constantly coming at them. They don't shut those things off. And so we have what's called sensory processing disorder. And think of this, I'm going to go into this a little bit more here in just a second, but think of this as a cup, okay? And throughout the day, you've got drops of water going into this cup, and that is your sensory issues, okay? 
And if you don't empty that cup, what's going to happen? It's going to overflow, and that's going to be your meltdown. So we have to give them the things they need to empty the cup. Otherwise, we're going to have an overflow or a meltdown. So let's talk about that a little bit. This is borrowed from a book called uh, The Reason I Jumped by Naoki uh, Hikishida. He uh, was a teenage boy. I think he's in his early 20s at this point, but he nonverbal decided, figured out that he could actually communicate through a computer and decided to write an entire book about it. And I'm, I'm pulling this small section out of here because this is his explanation of what it's like um, with sensory processing disorder. And I think it's pretty interesting. So read along with me, if you will. Imagine a room where 20 radios are tuned to different stations and they're all blaring out voices and music. Radios have no on-off switch or volume controls. The lights are constantly flickering in their uh, in your eyes, and colors and patterns are pouring in from all directions. They swim and clamor for your attention. The fabric softener in your shirt smells as strong as air freshener fired up your nostrils, and your jeans feel like steel wool. The floors keep tilting like a ferry in heavy seas, and you're not sure where your hands and feet are in relation to the rest of you. You can actually feel the plates of your skull and your head feels like it's trapped inside a motorcycle helmet, three sizes too small. The air conditioning is as deafening as an electric drill and the person in front of you sounds like they're speaking into a cell phone on a train going through lots of tunnels. Relief will only come once they go to sleep. So if you can imagine this constantly coming at you and we ask these kids, sit in your chair, do your work finish this test this this stuff is happening constantly you can understand why we should probably start having meltdowns because we if we don't give them a break to empty that cup we're going to have meltdowns that that cup's going to overflow so we have to really do that so um, I'm going to skip over this video real quick. This is just what a meltdown looks like. It, this is from Carly Fleischman. If you guys ever get a chance and you don't know who she is, to take a look at Carly Fleischman, also nonverbal, but does a lot of really cool things. Um, this this video should be, I think it should be available to you guys, though. Um, I, I've sent out the, the, I had some problems with my email, so I don't know what's gotten out and what hasn't. But the PowerPoint should be out there somewhere, and we can try to get or contact me, and I'll send it to you. But all right, uh, I'm going to skip over theory of mind just because it's more uh, of a, a different uh, issue, but it's pretty impressive. This is what I really want to get to. So, what are our red flags? What are we looking for in a young uh, person that may be on the spectrum? So they're, again, repetitive behavior, insistence on the same, resistance to change. Everything has to be the same way. If you change their routine, something as crazy as taking a different route to school one morning can change your entire day. Um, I'll tell you a real quick story, and I know I don't have a whole lot of time for Connor stories, and I, I'm sad about that because they're they're the best. I'm going to give you one. When Connor was younger, uh, and I don't normally tell this one in the training, so I think it's important to this one. We would go, I would pick him up every day, and um, he would come out, come on a sidewalk, and we would go out to the sidewalk and then walk down the sidewalk and get in the car. Um, this day, I was in kind of a hurry, and I don't even remember why, but I decided to cut across the grass, and Connor didn't like that. Connor didn't want to go across the grass. He wanted to go on the sidewalk. Well, I said, Connor, come on. I, you know, it's one of those days where I didn't want to pick my battles. I was just like, come on, let's go. You're going across the grass. We're just going to cut across here. It's going to be faster. 
Connor started having meltdowns as soon as we got in the car, and it lasted for a couple of hours because Connor wanted to go on the sidewalk. I ended up having to load him back in the car, go back to the school later that night, and we had to walk down the sidewalk as opposed to through the, the grass. That's how bad it was. But he had to have everything the same way. And I've heard parents talk about this, and we we had the same thing. If you go to school the same way every morning and every morning, and then all of a sudden you change your routine, you're going to have a bad day. Um, repeating words and phrases, that's echolalia. Echolalia kicks in, and I'm going to tell you, echolalia as a parent is not fun at all. So I have parents that always say, well, my kid repeats things. But not verbatim in the same tone over and over again for two and three weeks at a time. Um, why do they do that? I mean, you, you may have a kid that rewinds the same part of a movie over and over and over again for hours. Or they're listening to a song and they'll rewind that certain part or something. I, I can tell you right now, TikTok is the bane of my existence because if you guys know anything about TikTok, it runs on a continuous loop. And Connor will find certain things that he think are, thinks are funny and they're great. And they're soothing to him, but he listens to them over and over again. And for, I mean, after about 20 minutes, I have to tell him, find something different. I can't do that one anymore. You got to find something. But but Temple Grandin explained in a, in a conference that I went to that it's because it's the same. He can hear that same thing over and over and it's soothing to him. It's funny to him. It's It's whatever gives him that comfort. So echolalia is part of that, but that's also a good sign. Later on, we'll we'll talk real quick about that. But um, it talks about preferences to being alone, and that's partially true. Uh, I'll tell you another quick story. So a couple years ago, they were working with Connor on socializing. He had a speech therapist that wanted him to sit with other kids at, at lunch because he would go sit at the teacher's table, and. They kept saying, you need to, you know, you need to go sit with your other kids. You need to socialize. This is lunch. This is a good time for everybody to talk or whatever. And one day she walked in and Connor was by himself again at the teacher table. She she calls us to tell us the story. And she says, so I went up to him and I said, Connor, why are you not sitting with the other kids? And he said, they spit in my food. And we were like, we were like, well, Connor, who's in the background, telling me. So uh, we're like, well, what do you what do you mean? Are they being mean or anything? And he said, no. When they talk, they'll spit like in my food and stuff. So he would wait until he was done eating his food, and then he would go over and talk to the other kids. He's going to correct me behind me the whole time now. Uh, tantrums, you know, there's a big difference between tantrums versus a meltdown. You know, a, a tantrum or, or a fit is something that we do in order to uh, get what we want. And it can last as long as we need it to until we get the thing that we want, right? Um, but meltdowns are, a, listen, as a parent, it's the most helpless feeling in the world. It, it is actually overstimulation. It's a fight or flight mode. Your body has just had enough, and um, you, you it's an adrenaline dump. Usually, when it's over, they forget half of what happened, and they're very remorseful. But it's no, there's nothing you can do once a meltdown starts. I always get people to say, well, what can I do to help with a meltdown? And once it starts, there's nothing you can do. You, can, you can't do anything to control or console 
all you can do is make sure that they're not hurting themselves or others and let it run its course. What we try to do is head those behaviors off ahead of time. And we can kind of talk a little bit about that in a minute too. But um, but really once the meltdown starts, there's nothing you can do because they're not in control of their body anymore. They're not having a fit. They are having a meltdown and it's a completely different issue. Okay. As a parent, like I said, it's helpless. They, their eyes glaze over. They look through you. It's there's, it's just, it's really pretty sad. So um, some of this other stuff, and I'll kind of skip through this because some of this is dependent on the child. One thing you got to know about sensory processing is everybody's different. Again, it's a spectrum thing. So for Connor, he is undersensitive to pain. You know, he uh, he likes the feel of rough stuff. He likes pressure. So he likes hugs. He likes to, you know, um, we talked about Connor sandwiches. Connor sandwich was when he was younger, if he got upset and we knew he was about to have a meltdown, we would lay him down on a couch or on a, on a, a bed. And we had this body pillow we put over him, and then we just apply pressure, and you could just feel the tension release, you know, from him. Um, but that's that's just Connor. There are other people. We've got a, a young man who worked in our office for a couple of summers, and he couldn't touch. We we tried to get him to file papers. He couldn't touch paper. He said it felt like his fingertips were on fire. He couldn't walk on grass without shoes or socks on because he said it felt like the blades were cutting into his feet so it just depends on each child they're going to be different and it's either going to be heightened or lowered or you know depending on on which one we talked about eye contact or lack of eye contact and again that depends on the person but a lot of times we do see a lack of eye contact um let's see here uh, sustained sustained um odd play we talk about parallel play so we have kids that come up to each other and, and they may look like they're playing together, but the, the one that's on the spectrum is usually just mocking the other one or, or playing alongside them and not actually interacting. And so that's one thing to look for. Are they really playing together or is he playing by himself and the other one's trying to interact and he's not really doing it? So those are some things to really look for too. Um, spinning objects. So, we talked too about when when one of the questions we ask in screening is, does your kid play with a toy like it's supposed to be played with, like a car, or do they flip it over and they just spin the wheel and watch the wheel spin? Those are certain things that we kind of are looking for. Um, no real fear of danger, and that that is true for kids on the spectrum, but that's also true for ADHD. So that's one of those that it's kind of a borderline. Um. The gross motor skills, fine motor skills, if they hold their pencils different or their spoons or their forks, that's something to watch for because that could mean that the fine motor skills are a little out of check. Um, Non-responsive to verbal cues. Listen, we had Connor's um, hearing chest tested at at least three, maybe four times when he was younger because you'd walk into a room and you'd say his name and he wouldn't pay attention to you. And, and my wife, Jennifer, she would say... I think there's something wrong with his hearing. And I'd say, there's nothing wrong. We've already had him tested a couple of times. One day she came in and she said, I really think there's something wrong with his hearing. And I said, watch this. He was in his bedroom down the hall. We we're in the living room and I turn on a cartoon. And as soon as he heard it, he comes running in. I said, there's nothing wrong with his hearing. 
It's just the way he's processing that information. So it may seem like he's not responding or responding. He is. It's just taking him longer to, to respond. So some things to look at um, and to think about. All right. So I'm going to kind of skip through this. This is part that we do with especially either parents or teachers. But this is kind of what do we do um, if we to head off now that we understand the behaviors, how do we head the behaviors off? But I think there's some information in here that is really good um, to, to better understand some of this too. So um, one thing is behaviors communication. If I've got a child that's acting out, they're acting out for a reason. They're not just trying to, to misbehave, okay? We talked about that earlier. It's up to us as parents, as educators, as professionals, whatever, to figure out why they're acting the way that they are. And sometimes you have to be a detective to figure some of that stuff out. So um, I, I love this one. I'm going to go over this one because I think it's very important. It, you, you guys have probably seen this, some of you, but if a child doesn't know how to read, we teach them. If a child doesn't know how to swim, we teach them. And if a child doesn't know how to multiply, we teach them. But if a child doesn't know how to behave, unfortunately, we decide to punish instead of teaching, which is very important, right? We have to teach them how to how to behave because they've never been taught. So that's an important thing. Let's talk about never assume anything. So you've got a kid that's maybe saying things and you're like, how, why is he saying that? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Kids on the spectrum are often black and white. It's it's one way or another. They don't understand figures of speech. They don't understand idioms. Uh, metaphors, similes, things like that. So what I always say is until if they say something, until they you have a, an actual um, any kind of fact to back it up, don't believe what you've heard. And I'm going to give you an example. I got a phone call from my wife one time and she says, hey, I got to tell you what Connor did. He told the teacher he was going to kill her. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So what what's going on? So what had happened is they had a, a substitute that day. Well, instead of getting an actual sub, they brought in Miss Candace, who was the aide from the PE class. Well, everybody knew Miss Candace. So when she walks in the room, there are 15 kids in this room. 14 of them stand up, mob her at the door, give her this group hug. Oh, Miss Candace, we love you. We're so glad you're here. Oh, Miss Candace, thank you so much. Miss Candace says, Guys, I can't breathe. You're killing me. Everybody go sit down. I got to take roll. When we get done with roll, we'll talk, whatever, but go sit down. About two minutes later, the one child that doesn't get up, it's my son. He walks up to her and he says, Miss Candace, I'm going to kill you now. What he meant was, it's my turn to give you a hug. Because what did she say? You're killing me, everybody. I can't breathe. Go sit down. But that's not what he, that's not how he interpreted things. So understanding what they're saying um, is a very important part. Luckily, we had a, a principal that understood and and we, everything was okay. But um, that figures of speech. So we work with social skills and, and things like that. We work um, with young adults. And one of the things that, you know, if I ask Connor to pick up the living room, he, this is kind of what he's looking at. How am I going to do that? What am I going to, how am I going to pick that living room up and move the couch and things? Um, I, that's one of the things. So we, we work on uh, idioms and figures of speech. I asked that, that group, uh, that social group, 
if I say you're, you know, I'm put beating around the bush, what do you think? And I had one of them say, I actually see people with sticks hitting a bush. That's what they see that everything is black and white. So, um, my wife and I are laying in bed one day and, and one night and it's storming and Connor comes in and he says, Hey mom, dad, it's raining cats and dogs outside. And we're kind of looking at each other like, that's awesome. That's great. Yes, that's true. And he stood there for a couple of minutes. And he goes, now you understand that dogs and cats aren't really falling out of the sky, right? And we, yes, we do, but we're glad that you do. But this is what, you know, the visual that they get. Everything is, you know, so literal. Um, so those are things that we have to work with them on. Um, I'm going to go through this one because I'm running low on time, but I want to get into sensory issues. So how do we know when those those are starting to head off? And I think it's important to, to go through this part because these are also signs that we're looking for. So kids with sensory issues um, and on the spectrum tend to do these things. Pace. When they're overstimulated, they'll start pacing back and forth or, or, or moving around a little bit, you know. And that's something that we used to tell Connor to stop, but we realized that that pacing is his outlet. That is him trying to empty that cup before it overflows. So now, I mean, we may be in a restaurant and he may get up and say, I need to pace. And okay, as long as you stay by the table, well, let's just pace around, you know? So those are things that we do. Uh, rocking, whether it be in line or standing or what, in your chair, but pay, uh, rocking uh, is a is a... These are stem. These are what we call stems or self-stimulation, self-regulation, something to keep them uh, from getting overstimulated. Flapping. You've seen kids flap on the spectrum. Uh, a lot of that comes from the neurological part. They may spin. They may flap. Um, that's just them trying to feel those extremities better. But that is a good sign. Well, I mean, that is a, a red flag, if you will. I don't know. Um Repeat things, that echolalia kicks in. We already talked about that. Cover your ears. Listen, I don't want my kid to suffer, but if we're covering our ears, at least I know I'm looking for a sound. So that's that's kind of a positive thing. Chewing on things, pencils, shirts, clothes, self. Those are things that constantly, um, that's, a, that's a stem. Spitting, Connor would do this spitting thing all the time. I mean, he would, he would, spit on everything that was kind of his deal for about a year or so and we had a speed we had a um a um an aide that said uh, the para she said listen i'm tired of cleaning up after you if you want to spit that's fine because we know that that is your stem but she put a deal a box of tissues on his desk and said you want to spit grab one spit into that and then um throw it away. You throw it away. You clean it up and then grab another one and you can keep doing that. So, um, and then lately for the last two, probably three years or so, it's clearing his throat and, and you and I clean it, clear our throat. <clears throat> That's fine. That's not how Connor clears his throat. Connor clearing his throat is. So if you guys can imagine that all the time in a nice restaurant or maybe on a trip for 10 hours in a car um it gets a little a little old and obsessive but that's okay that's his that's his thing too and it's a it's amazing what you can get used to so 
Um, and ultimately, he would do this little scream when he was younger, and I won't get too deep into that because, again, I'm, I'm running out of time. I want to give a, a couple of minutes for some questions here. So let me go through some of this. So how do we help with that self-regulation before? We see those stems. We can start doing pressure if they like pressure, if they like to be touched. We can do breathing exercises with them. Smell the candles, blow out the candles. Smell the cake, blow out the candles. Different Different breathing techniques are really good. Um, anything, if the, depending on if they like soft or, or, or rough, you can give them things to just kind of rub on. Sandpaper, fur, silk. We do Velcro now. The Velcro strips that already have the adhesive on it, you can put them underneath of their desk and they can either, they can pick the, the you, then you've got a rough side and a soft side and you can use, pick whichever one you want to. Bean bags because of the pressure around you, a quiet corner. Um, and joint compressions, those are good. Talk to your occupational therapist before you do the joint compressions, but those work really well. Um, earplugs or headphones, if that's something they like. Connor doesn't like things in his ears too much, or he, he used to not for sure. And a simple walk. I mean, go out. We have one parent that says when he gets frustrated, I just have him walk down to the mailbox and, and come back. You know, we walk down and check the mail and come back. So certain, you know, little things like that can help. Um, I'm going to skip through some of this other stuff real quick, only because that's kind of as far as knowing um, some of the things. The rest of it's kind of a behavior thing, um, but knowing um, what to look for is kind of the big thing. And then if any of those things jumped out at you, and I would say, you know, let's say you had five or more of those things that really jumped out at you. I would look for a screening. Then I would look for a diagnosis if you screen at risk. Then I would also look for any of those things to help them with coping skills. And you early intervention is the, the key to anything. So as quick as you can, don't, you know, don't hesitate. Get speech therapy, occupational therapy. If they need physical therapy, you can get those through the school. If you have any problems with the school, you can call us. You can call the Oklahoma Parent Center. Um, we can help you with getting those things through the school. Um, but there, there are a lot of things involved in that. So that's kind of the training. I'm going to give myself about five minutes to answer any questions you guys may have. Um, I'm going to put up my information here, too. That way you guys have it in case you need it. What kind of questions do you have? And I'm looking through the chat to see if there was any. Informative. Thank you, Trudy. Um, anything that you guys have, I can, I'll, I'll try to field. I don't know everything, but... Hopefully you guys have a better idea of what you're looking for at least. Um, and then if at any point you wanted to do a behavior training, which goes more in depth on this, there's a lot of what we talked about in here, but but the second part would be more in depth on, okay, now we know the behaviors. How do we head some of those off? Um, I'd be happy to do that sometime. Just contact me and we can do it. We can do it through Zoom or whatever. I don't have a question, but I really just wanted to thank you for all this information, for the perspective. I really appreciate it. Just going in depth of just situations that children go through that a lot of people could see as tantrums and just them being like bad behaved. I really loved how you broke it up and really explained a lot in a really positive perspective. Because I think I definitely find a lot of that very hard, especially when it comes to schools and then seeing it at a different perspective. So I really just really appreciated all the information that you shared today. Well, thanks. I mean, we've, we've been doing Connor 17. So we've been doing this a while and 
trust me, it, it there are times when there's negative. Um, <laughs> even even from my point of view, I mean, it's it's not easy, you know. Um, but we and we've also had to change our way of thinking, um, the school's way of thinking. So it's um, it's taken me years to get to where I'm at now. I'll just say that. You, you guys are in a rare. Hey, Connor, come here. You guys can get to meet Connor. I'll let you guys ask him questions. Hey, can you come here for a minute? Huh? I'm going to get him on here. He's never done one of these before. So you guys, I have no idea what he's going to say. I'll warn you that ahead of time. Come here, buddy. These people just got to hear a lot about you. You you want to tell them anything about autism or about you or? Hey. Hold on. I need to turn this on. Okay. Okay. Well, uh. Look, right here's the camera. I don't know what to say either. <laughs> you guys, one of the cool things, he's got his letter jacket on. So oh. Panama School has, fortunately, in the last few years, if they are involved in Special Olympics, they give them a letter jacket, too, or the option to get a letter jacket. So that's been pretty cool. Interesting. Song that is cool. So Connor's going to pace a little bit, and that's okay. He he. What's cool is that he has some different sports on his than some of the other kids do. So that's, I mean, they don't have bowling or soccer, and so we got that. But he doesn't know what to tell you guys. So. That's really cool. You guys got any questions for him or me? What's your favorite thing about the tech center? What you're learning at the tech center? Talk to you third. Uh, 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 I don't know. You don't Maybe know. the uh, computer. Well, making wires. So making wires. He's he's um, in the computer program. So they're learning. He 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 told me one day that um, he had to choose between going to a special event at school or going to KTC. And afterwards, he had chose to go to the technology center. And afterwards, he said he was glad he did because he got to tear apart a computer. So I guess that's, you know, <laughs> um, but he, he makes wires. That's and, always fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they put it back together or not, but uh, what else? <laughs> buddy? Anything? Hey. <laughs> we have some we need to recycle. Connor, would you know how to take them all apart so people can get our information off of the old ones? Anything that they've taught you yet? You gotta speak up, they can't hear you. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Connor, it's an English. She said, Tell me about the Blue Thomas, the train on how it came about. So, Thomas and the and Bluey, I think that's what she's talking about. Okay. Wait, where you combine Thomas and Bluey? Very much so. Oh, they're both preschool shows. Come on. They're eventually uh, both preschool shows and are relatable to adult audiences. Having comedy be uh, enjoyable for adult audiences. Like, they both don't treat they both don't talk down on kids or treat them with such stupidity. One of them, one of them does, but one of them did because another company bought it and trashed them. It's currently in its very stupid cartoony state now that nobody likes. But yeah, 
pretty much the creators didn't want to uh, talk down on kids, so they just tried to train with maturity and stuff kind of lost. And uh, some words kind of or talk kind of lost at kids. So I'm going to warn you guys if you get him talking about Thomas, we may be on here for a long time because he will tell you the entire history of Thomas. What year did it start? 1945, after the World War, the Second World War. Yeah, and who started it? Reverend Andre. Okay. Yeah. So he can tell you the entire history. He can tell you everything you need to know about Thomas the Train uh, throughout the years. Um, and and just amazing, the memory. Not bad for a kid that was never supposed to talk or go to a mainstream classroom, right? So pretty good. So is I was that told- why it's important to you? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, Connor, is that why that Thomas the Train's important to you? Because you feel like the creators are not uh, looking down or talking down to somebody? I know. Perhaps something more interesting. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I always tell parents that if, if you... Um, if you have somebody tell you that your kid can't do something, just add yet to the end of that. That's, I mean, that's the yeah. most important thing. So, um, thank you, Connor. And he's the oh, I'm in that, that is great advice, Cody. Yeah, pretty much. I'm making my own creatures. Uh, he's yeah, he's still going. He's into science fiction, and he's making his own creatures now. So very cool. Much oh, that's awesome. You want to? I can't with the idea last night. Well, I think it's an expanded idea. Do you want to show them? Do you have something? Okay, we're, we're running out of time. But so Ravenia is a, uh, sure. Ravenia is an island I made up, and this is a creature that inhabits it. Is so the Sanja is Sanjas are very related to snails. They're blob-like and fun. Colors blue, green, orange. Also, don't let them tell you that kids on the spectrum don't have an imagination because that's not true. Well, as you can tell. Okay, so they're blind, but will use their other senses. And he could go on and on and on for a while. So when they find, do you have uh, a picture? No, I didn't make a picture. Okay. Well, when they find their (laughs) their prey, pretty much, uh, it will just. Dope it off when uh, they must are already dead. Okay. Even if they do escape the effects, there's no cure and though. Okay. Well we gotta let them go because they got they gotta go to another field. So, so pretty much they've... you guys are have a I mean this is a treat, um, because he has never spoken to another group before that I've done the training with. So and he's gonna keep talking. Be sure to take him to Sonic or something. <laughs> I'm sure we'll go treat. to Burger King. Burger King, there you go. <laughs> he wants uh, chicken fries and a, and, and a shake. That's every day. So, well, send us a receipt, Cody. We'll reimburse. <laughs> but a treat. Well, thank you, guys. If you have any more questions, don't hesitate to contact me. All my contact information um, is is out there, um, and I'll answer anything I can. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, 
and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.